And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. Welcome back to the Iowa Caucus Project Podcast. As always, I'm your host, John Pearl, and I am very excited to share with you episode number 14 of the show today. Uh, after a brief hiatus to celebrate the holidays, we are back uh, with the show, and wow, January is going to be a crazy month. A lot of moving pieces, not only on Drake's campus, but around the Des Moines area, and uh, we here at the Iowa Caucus Project are committed to sharing with you the stories of it all. Uh, so uh, on today's episode, we will be interviewing Boston Globe reporter and Drake University alumni James Pendell about his experience as a student and as a professional uh, covering Iowa and both New Hampshire, the differences between those two states, and and really the insight that, that he can share uh, covering those. Additionally, uh, Will Follett is the featured member for the Meet the Member section of the show, and as always, we finish up by telling you when and where the candidates are going to be around the Des Moines area. So without further ado, uh, here's my interview with James Pendell. Boston Globe political reporter James Pindell remains one of the most sought-after guests during presidential primary season. Covering what is now his sixth presidential campaign, Pindell has been spending significant time on the ground in Iowa, New Hampshire, and other early states as candidates battle for front-runner status. Dubbed by the Washington Post as the insider's insider for his coverage of primary politics, Pindell has also spent his time between the last five presidential campaigns reporting, analyzing, and discussing national and presidential politics for the Boston Globe, Des Moines Register, Politics, NHMWMUR-TV, the NH Union Leader, and NH Magazine. In 2000, Pindell graduated from Drake University, where he studied magazine journalism and political science. He also holds a master's degree from Columbia University's Graduate School of Journalism. Mr. Pindell, from one bulldog to another, thank you uh, for agreeing to sit down with me. I am so thrilled to be on. Thank you for taking the time to talk with me. Absolutely. And, and, and first off, you know, as I, as I sit here in the basement of the Meredith building on Drake's campus, I, I think it's only I was wondering fitting. if you're in Meredith. <laughs> yeah. I, I spent a lot of time in Meredith. Yeah. I'm in the, uh, <laughs> the dungeons here in the Meredith basement. Yep. Uh, I think it's only fitting that I start off by, by asking you about your experience uh, covering the caucuses as a student. Uh, can you talk with me about your time interning for the Des Moines Register as a student during the, the 2000 caucus cycle? Absolutely. You know, I was, I'm sure there are more students at Drake who are doing this now, but I, I went to, I went to Drake because of the Iowa caucuses. Um, I did have, I grew up in the Midwest, so I grew up in Indiana. I had a lot of family uh, in Southeast Iowa, Burlington, Fort Madison, that sort of area, some in the Quad Cities or Iowa City. Uh, but a lot of, uh, you know, my, my closest aunt and uncle were in Urbandale uh, for much of it. And uh, I was like, this is uh, the dream. I was going to go to school in Washington, D.C., and then I thought, this is dumb. Now, the savvy play is to come to Des Moines, um, where you know this is where the action's really playing out. Uh, this is where people say they want to come. Um, you know, I had uh, grew up, uh, like most people in high school, like love sports, but I also really became to love politics. And there was uh, CNN had a show called Inside Politics. I know they have one now, but this is an old iteration uh, of a show with Bertie Shaw and Judy Woodruff. And there's like this segment that was just really influential in my life. They would have a, a kind of an interim segment where they'd have David Yepsen from the Des Moines Register 
And we, and David we I'm sorry to interrupt box. you, but yeah, we, we have talked to David Yepsen uh, about his time, uh, you know, covering the caucuses for the Des Moines Register. He was a great guest as well, but sorry for interrupting you. He's a legend. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the legend, my mentor, I owe him a lot. Uh, and then David Nyan of the Boston Globe, who would talk about New Hampshire. And they would, they would come on, you know, you know, depending on when we were in the cycle, once a month or once a week, to talk about what was happening in these two states. And so uh, I packed my bags, went to Drake, and within a week somehow got to meet uh, David Yepsen. Um, and I said, look, I'll do whatever you want. Uh, uh, and I was kind of a gopher uh, from the very get-go uh, at Drake uh, for Yepsen. And then it kind of went down a little bit in the cycle. And then when uh, the, the caucuses came back up again um, in terms of that 2000 cycle, uh, I was basically working full-time while being a student full-time. And loving every bit of it. I mean, obviously, I was a grunt. Um, another person who was there was uh, Jeff Zeleny, who's now on CNN. At one point, he became the um, uh, national political correspondent for the New York Times. Uh, and then a few others, people were there, too. Uh, John McCormick, who's now at the Wall Street Journal, was also in that pod of folks at the, at the register that I learned from. So while they were covering the big names, I did a lot of Alan Keats and Bill Bradley and wherever else in driving to Sac City. I remember an interview, I think, George H.W. Uh, Bush who was giving a speech out there, uh, Gary Bauer. So I would, but it was amazing, amazing experience. And it really set the trajectory to my life. Uh, you know, obviously worked at the Register and now um, at, the, at the Boston Globe doing sort of the same beat that David and I and that guy I saw on TV do. That's incredible. Incredible. You know, coming full circle, talking about people that we've had on the show and, and your experience, not only as a Drake student, but but as a Des Moines Register uh, call, intern and, and, and worker as well and reporter. Uh, as I mentioned, you know, you're unique in the fact that you've spent time working in both the early state nominating processes, Iowa and New Hampshire. Uh, when you when you look at the New Hampshire audience and with your experience covering both states, what are the differences you can observe between the two early states and what do you attribute those differences to? Yeah, you know, a lot of it is structurally event by event. They're largely the same. I mean, it's the same sort of type of events. Uh, New Hampshire would take more pride in sort of the town hall format, um, but they both have house parties, although uh, they're more fleeting, I think, this cycle as the process has become more nationalized. But structurally, I mean, look, uh, caucus goers are a subset of a subset of a population. Uh, uh, the most hardcore folks, and your listeners know this, New Hampshire is a different ball game. You do have obviously the insiders, as you do in every, but then it's a, a much more higher participation in terms of voter turnout because it is a primary. So there's a some stage, and I think we're here now in this particular cycle, about one month out, where you know the process opens up. Uh, it's not just the same group of folks that you would maybe experience at the Iowa caucuses. It's now. Uh, much more wide scale and much more for, for mass audiences. I would also say that you know, one thing that is very similar to those states is that they obviously take a lot of pride in their spot in the calendar, but it's not just that. They, to, they believe to earn their spot in the calendar, they must have a very open and transparent process and a process that does allow for an underdog. So there's no one who's really shooed away. Uh, Marianne Williamson is welcomed just as much as you know, a Joe Biden, 
uh, in terms of, you know, can you speak to the county committee? Can you, you know, get a get an audience? Can you get a room um, in terms of a, 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 at a at a hotel or, you know, whatever else or get a speaking spot? Uh, th- they do allow this process uh, uh very to be very open from the beginning and it's something you don't see when you like maybe cover a, a race for governor in Pennsylvania. So, you know, speaking about New Hampshire, how do you think what role does New Hampshire play in the context of the Iowa caucuses? Obviously, the New Hampshire primary is just about a week away from the Iowa caucuses. What's the mm-hmm. response that New Hampshire normally puts forward or what what does New Hampshire say in response to what the Iowa caucuses uh, the results that come out of those? Great. I mean, there's two ways of answering that question. You know, the first is that um, it's a mixed bag. Uh, in some cases, uh, New Hampshire totally affirms whatever Iowa does. And this may be a cycle that is set up to do that when Democrats are looking for electability. Uh, uh, they did that with Al Gore. They did that last with John Kerry in terms of running the table. And then any person who's ever done that, uh, one Iowa New Hampshire, has never lost the nomination. Um that may be the case, but it's obviously not always the case. New Hampshire likes to say that they thumb their nose to whoever Iowa picks, uh, but that's not really true. It's sort of somewhere in the middle. Uh, but I would say, broadly speaking, the, re- the reason the two states sort of work uh, beyond problems with uh, demographics is that in Iowa, you do hear from the party faithful and the, the most loyal party members. Um, and that may be an important process as the party tries to figure out their nominee. And then in New Hampshire, they hear from a much more broader audience and a lot of independent voters who are allowed to vote in this primary. In fact, independent voters will make up probably slightly more of a majority than even Democrats uh, in terms of the Democratic primary here. And so you get some sense of electability and how well a person can put a message together. Uh, and those two as a combo kind of does work. So, you know, there's obviously the, the, these primaries aren't happening in a vacuum. There's a lot going on in Washington and on a global scale. Uh, as we look at the impeachment uh, process in the United, obviously passed through the United States House of Representatives and, and possibly could go forward in the Senate right before the Iowa caucuses or right before the New Hampshire primary, how do you think it would affect the race for the Democratic nomination if those senators like Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, Amy Klobuchar, uh, Cory Booker had to go back to Washington for a Senate impeachment trial and weren't able to be campaigning in Iowa and New Hampshire before the, the caucuses in the primary? Yeah, I mean, there are three things really happening, right? Uh, you're right. We don't live in a vacuum. Um, we have, and you say have in the past, but now we do have the impeachment. We have whatever is happening with Iran. Uh, and then for New Hampshire, there's a wrinkle, which is and maybe an impact in Iowa, which is the day after the Iowa caucuses will be the State of the Union, and we get to see an impeached president speak in the House chamber. Um, uh, and that may impact the, the, the results of the, the impact of who wins in Iowa. Uh, to your question about impeachment, I mean, look, there's logistical and then there's political. Logistical, as you mentioned, I mean, under the old rules of impeachment, and we, they still have to adopt rules in the Senate, you know, we're talking about Monday through Saturday. Uh, they cannot talk. They have to be present uh, until 6 o'clock. Um, that's pretty hard for senators. It's also really hard for someone running for president. You know, a reporter ran into Mitt Romney. Um, said, you know, sir, you know something about running for president in Iowa uh, and in New Hampshire. How would this work? And then he smiles and says, well, they're going to have a problem, aren't they? Um, p- politically, uh, look, uh, this probably will f- 
help freeze the race. Right now, we've already seen the consolidation. Again, we're one month out when we're taping this podcast, but you know, we basically have four people um, in, in a top tier. Uh, maybe Amy Klobuchar is coming up that lane in for fifth, but it's really four people, and it's going to be really hard for other challengers to break through the news cycle when it's just going to be all impeachment all the time. Though, of course, if you are uh, someone like Andrew Yang or another candidate who's not you know, in the Senate, um, I guess maybe you can get something going on in the grassroots because you can campaign nonstop. So, you know, central to the idea of both Iowa and New Hampshire is peaking at the right time. It's crucial in both yeah. states. Do you think that any particular campaign is well suited to peak at the right time and in Iowa, in New Hampshire, or alternatively, is there a campaign that you think has maybe obviously peaked too early or, or should be worried about their support maybe dwindling in, in the weeks leading up to the caucuses? Yeah, I mean, this process is so completely unpredictable. You know, again, not to go back to 2004, but, you know, John Kerry was, I think, still like in fifth place at this point, uh, one month out from the Iowa caucuses. Uh, so it happened. I mean, look, I think to answer your question directly, I mean, Elizabeth Warren, you have to worry that you did peak way too early uh, in September or October when she was the national front runner in and, and also in the early states. Right now, you have to worry about uh, too early if you're Pete Buttigieg, who clearly is obviously on quite the high in Iowa right now, and whether or not he can sustain it. The one thing you've got to say about the Buttigieg campaign is they do take advantage of moments, and they are able to be sustained this moment that began really in March, and folks thought he'd be gone, he'd be gone away by now, and he really has it. But again, to, to continue this complicated mix of candidates, I mean, clearly Biden's back on the upswing, and on structurally on in paper, um, the person who actually has the best shot at the nomination right now is Bernie Sanders. That may surprise people, but he is in the game in all early states. He's got a conceptual argument that he can win the first two, um, if not the first three uh, states uh, right away. So, and, and, other, and other candidates can't really ha- don't really have that claim. So he may be on the upswing. And then you know, I just mentioned Amy Klobuchar, who's got something going. Uh, I just don't know if she can uh, come all the way through um, to, in order to, to peak at the right time. But she is someone right now you, you got to watch. And you mentioned Klobuchar. You mentioned Buttigieg before her. Those seem like candidates, and correct me if I'm wrong, but those seem like candidates where Iowa and New Hampshire are just critical to their campaign. You know, it's not hard to imagine a world in which Joe Biden maybe goes third in, in Iowa, third in New Hampshire, but then really kills it in South Carolina because of the support he has there. Would you say that the the candidates that Iowa and New Hampshire are most important for, they're most impo- they're important for obviously all of them, but the most important ones would be Klobuchar and Buttigieg? Boy, I don't know if I can say that um, because I, I hear I hear what you're saying. Uh, I, I look, I, I'm I'm with all my Iowa roots. I'm, I'm known as New Hampshire primary guy. Uh, I'm talking to you from New Hampshire right now in Manchester. Uh, but this is all about Iowa for everyone. I mean, how does Joe Biden, the guy who's supposedly the 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 inevitable nominee, the guy who is electable, uh, how does he go on if he doesn't get elected? If he doesn't win. It, it starts to pierce the armor. Um, that, that was Hillary Clinton's problem in 2008 when Barack Obama won. She was supposed to win everywhere. What happens when you don't? Um, you can make the, if Bernie Sanders wins Iowa, I mean, if he doesn't win Iowa, I, I see how he continues. He's raising a ton of money. He's got a national brand. But, man, that's how he becomes the nominee. Elizabeth Warren at this point, 
if she doesn't beat Bernie or do really well or win Iowa, I don't even know how she wins New Hampshire. And if she doesn't win New Hampshire, it's not she's 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 toast. Um, and then for Buttigieg, I mean, if it, if he doesn't get it started there, if he gets like a third place, he's got some cash. But I don't know how he's going to be able to sustain momentum. But then you're right. And after that, you go, you know, places five through nine. It's, you know, you better have a very good showing or you're all done. And, of course, there's one person we're not mentioning there, which is Mike Bloomberg, who's opted out. But if you look at it, if you look at the race structurally, Iowa is unbelievably important for really every candidate. Uh, Mr. Pendell, we like to ask everybody that comes on uh, some of their favorite caucus memories. Uh, you mentioned that you had been to Sac City earlier uh, in the interview, and you mentioned your time uh, at Drake and with the Des Moines Register. When you think about the Iowa caucuses, what are those memories that have, have never really left uh, that you experienced here on the ground? Yeah, I mean, I not to be a homer here. I mean, this is the podcast is from Drake. I'm an alum. I'm just really proud of the institution and how it's embraced the caucuses has really grown with it. I mean, I'm not sure you can fully appreciate, and I'm an old timer, but uh, 20 years ago or so, it, you know, this, the candidates would come through, they'd have a big rally. Um, maybe they test the waters at Sheslow or, you know, at uh, 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 Olmstead or something like that, but they, they wouldn't, uh, they wouldn't have this sort of idea that Drake would obviously host presidential debates uh, I think a Sunday show would be it. Uh, they would host on the lawn or something like that. Um, and it's really grown with the caucuses. It's, it's become sort of a place for the caucuses. And so when I think of the caucuses, I, I immediately think of my time at, at Drake. I mean, it, it's, it's home uh, in a lot of ways for me. Um, and I'm just really proud to see the way the institution has been playing really for an international audience as, as a host of, of the caucuses. Well, and I could tell you, Mr. Pendell, as, as a member of the Iowa Caucus Project, as a student that studies uh, politics and strategic political communications here at Drake, that, that, that what you're saying is absolutely true. The institution does a great job uh, supporting its students uh, as the caucuses come through and getting its students opportunities. And, you know, just a huge credit to, to all the different moving pieces that have, have played such a role in that. And, you know, particularly yeah, Professor Rachel Payne Caulfield for the work that she did uh, starting the Iowa Caucus Project uh, that I'm talking to you which, which is the platform I'm talking to you from. And uh, yes, it, it, that, that's great to hear. And, and it really affirms, I think, not only mine, but a lot of students that chose Drake because of politics. It affirms that decision for them. Awesome. I was a freak show back 20 years ago. I'm so glad other people are doing it. Like, you did what? <laughs> and, and of course I did. And now I'm glad everyone else is doing it too. Mr. Pendell, thank you so much. It, it was great to, great to speak to you. And, and I really appreciate uh, you taking the time out of your day to come on the show. Well, great, and hopefully I get to see you out there soon. Absolutely. Thank you very much. It's now time for the Meet the Member section of the show, and this week we are a final member uh, that we haven't talked to, Will Follett. Uh, Will, uh, certainly the, the last but certainly not the least uh, of the members of the Iowa Caucus Project. Thank you so much uh, for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. It's good to be here. Absolutely. So first off, uh, why don't you just kind of give us the, the basic college introduction, name, hometown, uh, and major? Sure. So my name is Will Follett. I am from Wheaton, Illinois, which is a suburb of Chicago, about 30 minutes outside of the city. And um, I'm a senior studying political science here. 
And Will, uh, what made you want to be a part of the Iowa Caucus Project? Did you have any political experience in Illinois? What made you want to study politics in college? And, and what made you want to be part of this group? Sure. So it's interesting. I kind of fell backwards into the politics major a little bit. I came in as a marketing major in 2016, right? as sort of the, the heyday of the election there. And I signed up for um, RPC as one of our professors, um, first year seminars on the 2016 election, just because I've been following it a little bit. You know, I took AP Gov in high school like everybody else. And it was just sort of interesting to me, but I never thought it would be something I'd be too involved. And I just, I kind of liked the narrative. I kind of liked that sort of just style of, you know, media and politics and things. Um, And I took her FYS and it was really your first year seminar. And it was really interesting because you, you, you come here and there's this sort of weird energy that everyone tells you about in terms of meeting all these candidates and everything. So I wasn't too interested in it. I was more in the business side of it. But the more I go to these events and the more I got to go see, you know, Bernie Sanders right in our in our gym or, you know, Trump right up the street or Hillary Clinton at, you know, a friend's old high school or something. It's just there was sort of an energy here that I really sort of became addicted to. And I sort of drifted away from the business school stuff and then into the politics major. And I really enjoyed it because it allowed me to do things that I really like doing sort of as a great means to an end. So I really like conversations. I like dialogue. I like narratives. I like hearing smart people talk about things. And I, this was a great avenue to do that. I like writing. I like sort of rhetoric. And this sort of was a perfect lightning in a bottle situation because I got to do all of those things. I got to explore things I'm passionate about. And then also do it in that in that medium, that politics medium I'm interested in. Yeah, and you've kind of approached a lot of your stories in an interesting way. You know, I, I immediately think about your uh, breakdown of all the, the candidates' uh, campaign logos uh, yeah. that you produced for the Iowa Caucus Project. Uh, talk to me about some of the work that you've done, because really you have produced some of the more unique pieces. Uh, what are some of your favorites? Sure, that's a good question. So um, the logo one was interesting. That was an idea had by a fellow staffer, Avery Vandenberg, who's been on this before, and she had the idea for it, and I said, that sounds interesting. I'd love to write it. Um, and it came down to sort of identifying, I think, what, what I think is interesting is the more these candidates express themselves and the more that they sort of spread their message, the more they can express themselves even in the most, like, minuscule, tiny little ways. And so when you pull out their designs, you can see some of their like really unique decisions in their logos. So for example, the Biden one was very sort of like straight shot. There's obvious like American imagery in there and it's it's boring and it's safe, but that's kind of Joe Biden's message, right? And then there's crazy ones like Joe Sestak, who's just a loon and he has all these crazy, you know, but his logo is this like crazy one, this like jingoistic like 80s logo where it's just the globe and it's all, I just thought it was really interesting how these candidates sort of decide because you essentially get one shot to like share this is the this is the the candidate people are going to see the most is their logo right so i think it's just really interesting how people decide to express themselves in that way and that was a fun article to write um i also wrote a really interesting one i really like doing sort of like deep i guess more analytical stuff which sounds i guess really pretentious but i wrote this one about um joe biden that i thought was really fun where it sort of explored the idea of how he's both running as, like, going back to the old ways, but he's also this progressive ideology. And I thought it was really interesting to sort of place those two ideas in contention because I think you could make the argument that the reason we're in the current political state that we're in is because the past didn't work. So I thought it was interesting to campaign on that idea of returning to the past. And I just – that was a fun article to write. And, you know, obviously – 
you know, you you have just learned a ton and got and gone around the Des Moines area. What do you think that you've uh, gathered and learned from your time uh, going around Des Moines, going around Iowa, about not only the people in Iowa but the way that this process works? Sure. So I think something. I think there's two things. One is how lax it all is. It's really interesting to sort of see how open and available everything is. I remember um, back in the fall during the um, big Polk County Steak Fry fundraiser here, um, I was like, I woke up in the morning and I heard a bunch of noise outside of my apartment and I walked down the street and in front of the McDonald's on the corner, Kamala Harris was like just out there dancing with a bunch of protesters who were, or protesters, like, you know, advocates for um, unions at, you know, McDonald's and fast food and She's just standing there dancing and she's talking to everybody and it was completely out of nowhere. She, like a car pulled up, she got out of there and I literally, I turned around to look at something else and I turned back in there and Kamala Harris was there. Um, And it's just the the spontaneity of it. And I ended up sort of sticking around after and I ended up talking to her press secretary and she's like right in front of me. Kamala Harris is like right in front of me. And just like the, I think you think of these candidates as like hermetically sealed, like they're very sort of sanctioned off from everyone else. But, you know, they're really approachable and they're really there and coming to Drake, you get to meet a lot of these people. Um, but also, I think, I, I wouldn't discount also how seriously Iowans take this process. I think that um, a lot of what we talk about in the caucus project is Iowa's role in their vision in this whole thing. And I think it's easy to write Iowa off as sort of like white flyover country, but being first in the nation is something that's that Iowans here are really proud of and that they really sort of take a lot of pride in. So the you know, they're, they're committed. The, the level of engagement they do and the level of sort of interaction they have with these candidates, you know, they do their homework. And I think that's something a lot of people sort of take for granted. And you, uh, interesting thing about you, you're also very passionate about photography. Yeah. Uh, and, and you have taken a lot of photos of the candidates as they've come through. Where can we find those photos uh, if we want to look? Are, are they published online? Uh, do you uh, tweet them out, Instagram them out? How do you uh, share uh, those photos that you're taking with people? Sure. So a lot of them just go on um, my Instagram page, which is at its will follow it if people want to follow it. Um, a lot of them end up in the articles we publish on the website um, because I go to a lot of these events and I take a lot of pictures. It's good to – a lot of them just go in like a centralized database, sort of like a Getty thing that people pull from from articles. Um, sometimes I'll, you'll do photo essays on the website where you can just sort of find pictures there. But, you know, I like sharing them. I think it's really interesting to – really sort of, this goes back to what I said earlier about how you can really get close to these people and you can get away with a lot, especially if you're in the media section of just, you know, they'll, they'll let you get in their face. That's that's what they want to do. So I think it's that's something that's really important. Well, Will, thank you so much uh, for your patience uh, waiting all the way until uh, the, the last uh, member of the team to, to be on the show. And, and thank you for, for coming and sitting down. Thank you. I hope it was worth the wait. Absolutely. Uh, coming up next, we have the calendar of events. It's now time for the calendar of events section of the show where we tell you when and where the candidates are going to be around the Des Moines area for the upcoming uh, week. So first up on January 8th, Wednesday uh, at 5 p.m., Bill Weld will be here at Drake University uh, for a student roundtable in the Medbury Honors Lounge. Uh, That'll take place again at 5 p.m. Weld will also be in the Des Moines area along with a couple other candidates at the Faith, Politics, and Common Good Forum at Franklin Junior High in Des Moines on January 9th. uh, That is Thursday. Uh, Weld is is scheduled to be there at 6.30 p.m. Marianne Williams 
Williamson uh, will be at that Faith Politics and Common Good Forum at 7 p.m. And then John Delaney will also be there. He will be there at 3 p.m. Again, that's at the Franklin Junior High Building in Des Moines. Uh, a little bit outside of the, of the Des Moines area, Newton, Iowa, Bernie Sanders will be at Burge Middle School Commons uh, for a town hall featuring United States Representative Rashida Tlaib at 1 p.m. on January 11th. That is Saturday. Uh, on January 12th, Sunday, uh, Pete Buttigieg will be in Des Moines for a town hall. Doors open at 6 p.m., but the location is still yet to be decided. Uh, so keep an eye out uh, for an announcement from the Buttigieg campaign about uh, where that, that town hall will be. And then finally, of course, uh, anybody uh, connected to Drake University knows that the January Democratic debate will take place on Tuesday, January 14th, right here on Drake University's campus. So with that, uh, have we, we have reached the end of episode 14. Thank you uh, to all the guests on the show this week, James Pindell, Will Follett, and uh, we will be back uh, later on in the month with more coverage of the Iowa caucuses. Thank you, as always, for listening to the Iowa Caucus Project podcast. <laughs>